Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome, everyone. This is Partner First. We bring you industry experts, vendors of note, and amazing MSPs. I am your Wild Wednesday host, Dean Trempellis, full of sarcasm and unwanted opinions. Partner First is recorded on all the platforms you like and some of the platforms you don't. So if you missed today's live showing, you can watch it later. Today we have an awesome show I'm super excited for. We have an amazing guest who's been in this space for a hot minute. He's done the MSP owner thing himself, and now he guides his current firm in the acquisition process, I think through 16 MSPs so far they've acquired, and he's also a champion power lifter. Let's bring on Adam Kerrigan. Morning, Dean. Thanks for having me here. Appreciate Good it. Adam. Oh, welcome. Glad to yeah, have yeah. you. Yeah, thank, thank you. I've been wanting to get ITS on one of these for a while. For people in the audience who don't know, uh, Intelligent Technical Solutions is an MSP that originally started in Vegas. I was in a peer group with ITS and many of the MSPs that ITS acquired back in. I found I found one of our old work groups. It was a tailored business group, peer group, uh, that I joined in 2014. And almost everybody that was in that initial peer group uh, is now an MSP that's that's well over $30 million in revenue, which is the power of peer groups. Uh, but yeah, I, re I remember when Tom was working out of a broom, a literal broom closet that he was renting uh, from one of his clients. So if anybody's watching this, thanks. They're never going to get that big. It's not Shout that hard. Broom closets everywhere. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so uh, tell us more about you. Yeah, hey, I appreciate that. Um, you know, super glad to be here and you know, kind of interact with the community. So, I have been in IT professionally since '99, and I was in corporate IT for about ten years. And then, with the downturn in the economy, um, I ended up uh, kind of saying, "Hey, man, I've I know IT. Let me start my right. own company." Like ninety-nine percent of us IT folks do, right? So, yeah. in two thousand nine, um, I started my company. Um, but over the next 10 years, um, you know, things got a little bumpy under the under the surface, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later, which then led to my decision in 2018 to sell my MSP uh, and join ITS. And uh, it's it's been transformational for me. Uh, I lost 80 pounds, got out of a bad oh, yeah. marriage, got my nights and weekends back, started my nice. hobby of competitive powerlifting, and you know, kind of along the way became a happier, more financially secure person. And, um, and so we've now done 16 of these transactions um, and, and other people do it for a variety of reasons, like wanting to give their people more career opportunities, wanting to take money off the table and really compete against the bigger MSPs coming in their area. And I feel lucky, I feel like the poster child for M&A. And so I, I feel a lot of excitement about being able to share about this. It, there's, there's, it's probably the hottest topic in the channel. It's, it's, it's that and cybersecurity. Those two are constantly right. competing. I go to all these channels, but you know, in a nutshell, uh, that's me. And then in, uh, in my part time, I, I enjoy picking up heavy things and putting them back down. So, uh, I think it's really good observation security and MMA. Uh, I noticed at the latest it nation this year, that's the two talk tracks. That was it. It was pretty much cybersecurity or exiting your business. And oh, I thought yeah. that was pretty interesting because even, even five, six years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. There would have been like an operations track. There would have been like mm -hmm. a, a tool track. So it, it is interesting to see, you know, when you think about it, it makes sense. Cause like people like you, like Tom, um, Ray, who uh, owns MMN, they all, all of these people started their companies, what, 15, 20 years ago and mm -hmm. reached that point now where they're at that exit point. So, um, but before we yeah. get into that, mm -hmm. I hear that you have powerlifting titles. I do. So and I'm I'm, got... I'm a weak man. So I'd love to hear more about powerlifting titles. You know, so that. so it's it's kind of funny. So um, I got into powerlifting actually after one of the most um, the most chaotic experiences of my entire career. So I signed this new client, right. and ten days after we bring them on board, uh, before we had like a full BDR backup, their their single server crash, and it was like a twenty four seven business, and the oh, no. it was a husband and wife team, and they were they were the toughest clients that you can imagine, and my whole team like our morale was just in the toilet, 
and they were down. It took us 10 days to get them back up and running, but we did. We got all their data back, but it was so nice. rough coming home at night just, and I would just cry. Like I, I just was like, in my sure. and so after it was all said and done, I was like, you know, I was so overweight. I was out of shape. I was like, if I don't do something about my health, I'm going to die. So I, I told my wife at the time, I was like, I'm going to sign up a gym. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've said this. And so I went and I just started going seven days a week. I went seven days a week for a whole year and, and eventually found a good group of guys uh, that were just putting up massive weight. And I, and I finally worked up the courage and I raised, you know, I was like, Hey guys, do you mind if I work in with you? And I thought they were going to totally reject me. And they're like, nah, man, come on. So started training with them. Uh, we, we, we started training for about two years together and then the idea of competing had come up and just kind of had a natural knack for it. So went on, I've competed, uh, and won gold at three, uh, national championships. And then I, uh, in wow. 21 competed at the world championship, took gold there. Uh, I currently hold a deadlift world record and, uh, I'm excited to, uh, continue that, uh, in July, the national championship. And then in November, the world championship will both be here in Las Vegas. So I'm excited to, uh, to get to, uh, kind of defend my titles there. That's awesome. So when, when you're, when you guys are working and negotiating to bring on more MSPs and the, are you just kind of standing there? Like you better agree to these terms. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's so funny. So, so I go to the, and I don't know if people see this. So I have this, I have this crazy fanny pack that I wear at the conferences. I'm now known as the fanny pack guy. I love it. And it started because uh, in powerlifting, we wear like a singlet. It's like wrestling. And so we we have no pockets, right? And so right. I, way back when I was first competing, I was like, all right, I need a fanny pack. I need something to hold my wallet and keys and all that stuff. And I so I got this ostentatious fanny pack on Amazon. And then I started wearing it to all the conferences whenever I travel and it just kind of stuck. But here's the, here's the interesting thing is somebody came up to me and they said something that, I, that was so smart. They said, Adam, I'm so glad that you wear that because like, like I'm 6'2". I'm 310. I'm this huge dude. And they're like, you're really intimidating your bald head and beard and all this stuff. And they're like, the fanny pack makes you approachable. And right? I was like, hmm, okay. You know? So, uh, so anyway, that's, uh, I yeah. love it. All right. Well, um, you are really an MA expert and that is what we are here to talk to, uh, talk about. Uh, I, I got to go that. through my own MA experience uh previous to getting to do this and it was awesome and you guys have done it so many more times than we did so why don't you teach us like what what mistakes do we need to avoid what what can we screw up sure uh well the short answer is a lot uh but for today's purposes we'll get specific um and before we turn uh you know i've got a couple of slides prepared um i know that us it guys we love our data right we right. love we love specifics um, I will say yes. So at ITS, we've done 16 of these. Um, I was transaction number four back that's in awesome. 2018. Uh, we've done seven of these in the last 20 months. And now that's all I do full time. And as I said, I kind of feel like the poster child for MA. So I, um, there are a lot of mistakes that can be made. And the one thing I will mention is this it, in most cases, um, us IT owners, the biggest thing we will ever sell is our business, right? It's the right. thing we poured the most energy, blood, sweat, and tears into. Safe to say we probably spent more time on it than we spent with our family. And so it there's a lot of mistakes that can be made along the way. And so my goal today is really to share some of the missteps that I've seen along the way and help to coach people through that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, su super happy to be here. So um, any questions before we jump in? We'll uh, We'll talk about what I view as the top five mistakes to avoid so you can get the most money in your bank account. So real quick, so this was me, like I talked about 2018. Um, and, but what was below the surface was I was burned out. I was really struggling to find good people, especially in sales and marketing. And I was just grinding to get to the next revenue level. And, uh, and so really what, what I wanted to do was something different. Now what ITS was doing, was a little bit different. We talked a little bit about this. We've done 16 of these transactions, uh, started all the way back in 2016. And, and Tom Andrews, my partner and our CEO, he had won Better Your Best with Robin Robbins back in 2014. Yep. But we've kind of gone on this tear. And then in 2022, we took private equity investment from Tower Arch Capital. 
been a great group of guys to work with. I knew it was going to get along because most of these guys are in three-piece suits and ties. I knew I liked these guys when we met in person. One of them was wearing a Metallica t-shirt. Like, this is my kind of people. Um, but but these are what I see as the top eight challenges. And I mentioned on some of these, I was what I call the classic three, burnout, hiring challenges, and growth. But I see more and more of this as I talk to people. They're, you know, they're kind of, their key people are topped out, right? Uh, Chat GPD is an example, kick the door open on AI. There's just a lot of things out there. You know, owners, we have a lot on our shoulders. So uh, the, the way I see it is we, we've got a couple of things. We can do what we've always done. Well, we know what we're going to get there, right? We can level up ourselves. I think people like, you know, we've talked about Tom Andreas, our CEO. He's, he's to me, kind of a pinnacle example. He always is learning, always growing. Right. Um, we can sell and retire, but the challenge is, hey, if we sold today, we're probably not going to get the max amount that we want. Certainly not for the retirement level we're hoping for. Or we can join a bigger group. That's what I did. Um. So, so I'll kind of touch on the first one that maybe we can just some, have some going back and forth. So with, with legal structure, um, when we're buying a company, we tend to look, people tend to fall in either a C corp or an S corp. Now the challenge that we run into here is that people, their CPA comes to them and they'll, they'll come to you like, Hey man, there's been this law change and the taxes have changed so that if you change to a C corp, you're going to be able to save a few thousand dollars. Of taxes this year and who doesn't want to save a thousand you know a couple right. thousand dollars in taxes of course everybody does the challenge is that when it comes time to sell your business uh c corps will cause double taxation first at the corporate level and then the individual level and so again i'll and i'll preface this by saying i'm not a cpa right i'm not an attorney so please of course for everybody out there you know in, in internet land please talk with your professionals but um, our advice is go stay with the C, uh, S corp rather stay with an S corp. It's much more flexible in terms of being able to get a transaction done. You avoid the double taxation. Uh, but here's the catch. If you are a C corp, you can't just instantly switch to an S corp without consequence. There's a five year waiting window, which must transpire before you can kind of walk away from those tax that double taxation. So what happens is like, let's say that you're three years into your switch from a C corp to an S corp, you're three years in and there's two years left. You're going to still get double tax on those two years if you transact. So the point of this is, Hey, get that clock started sooner rather than later. So you can kind of get into S corp land and then you can have a, a much better, uh, you know, exit upon that transaction. Does that make sense? What, what, what about what about one of those MSPs that's watching right now? Maybe they just got started mm -hmm. last year. They're just a sole proprietorship. Um, what does this even mean to them? I mean, how, how how does someone who just started plan for this later? These these are scary acronyms to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, I think it's the traditional route, right? It starts as just us, right? We're just that dude or that right. gal. And we go out there and we, we start building up our our practice. And, and, and I think that's how we all did it. Right. We all started right. as a sole proprietorship yep. and then we learn a little bit and then we become an LLC and then we kind of progress. Um, what I would say is this, I, you know, what I see is that the majority of the business transactions that are going on, when I say transaction, I mean like a buying or selling of a business. Most of them are happening when a company's are revenue wise about 3 million and higher. Um, now, not, that's not to say that there's not a lot of activity and a lot of things that can be done with companies smaller than that. That's just what tends to get the attention of the market. But I do see a lot. For instance, I, I was talking with this group that's in uh, Southern California. There's five smaller MSPs that are looking to come together with the idea that, hey, we form a big entity and then we sell to somebody that's bigger than us. Right. right? That's just happening every day. I'm a fan of getting expert advice. I think it can be risky if I'm talking with, you know, a friend or uh, a family member or somebody like that. Like I, you know, do what we tell our clients. Our we go to our clients and say, "Hey, we are the experts in IT. Trust us, pay us to handle this." I want to do the same thing. If I'm going to sell my house, I'm going to hire a real estate agent. I'm not just going to take some advice off the internet or something like that. So so to the, those people that are starting out I, I recommend as you can afford it, you know, turn to expert advice 
pay for it. And then you get the peace of mind of knowing, hey, I made the right decisions now so that in five, 10 years when I sell, I've kind of laid the groundwork to get where I need to be. Just keep keeping on that theme for a minute. For that, let's go to the sort of the opposite end of that same idea. For that small established MSP, you know, maybe they've mm -hmm. got 250K, half a million dollars in revenue, maybe one and a half employees, including the owner. Mm -hmm. Is that even a, a viable candidate to, to be acquired by a group like you? Or is are they really just selling their job to someone? Yeah, the, I mean, you kind of hit on the point there is that in, in a small MSP, say one that's up to 500,000 of revenue, it's probably safe to say the owner controls all the relationships, not only right. with any staff they might have, but especially with the community and their clients. And so what we, we tend to call that an aqua hire where, hey, if we buy that company, we really know we're just buying a guy or a gal right. and their book of business to come along with it. Um, for people that they're not ready to sell, they're like, hey, I want to kind of keep rolling up. You know, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes you can find somebody in your geography or maybe in a peer group. I know we talked a little bit about it before. People you know and trust you come together and then you, you take two or three of those and now you're a million, million and a half, right? Um, and the benefit there is it gives people a chance to like start taking some hats off. Like, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm really better at ops than I am at sales and you love to sell. So why don't you handle that side? Right. I'll do this side. And then we win together. That's what ThinkTech did. But, you know, be, before we got to any significant size, there were a few local like computer repair shops that had a small book of recurring business. And we would basically buy that book of business and incentivize those owners to convert their clients over to our model and pay them out on that. And it wasn't really a true acquisition because there wasn't really a business for us to take. Yeah. It, yeah. But it still, it still helped us. It helped us grow and it helped those mm -hmm. people grow. Yeah, and it, and it helps them because as look, we we've all as an owner, we know the stress, right? We're the ones that are getting the calls when we're on vacation, if we're even able to take one, right? We're the ones that are getting the late night calls. Everything rolls up to us, and there's a certain peace of mind that comes along with being able to say, "Hey, I'm part of a bigger team and a part of a bigger group." Like I remember literally the relief I felt. I remember the days, October 29, 2018. That was my first day at ITS where me and my guys came over. We had moved all, you know, we closed my office. We moved all the desks and everything over. And I just remember it was just like taking a load off my shoulders of like, holy cow, not everything is on my shoulders. Right. And that was that was what I needed at that point. And and I know that there's a lot of people yeah. out. Look, I, I know my story and I'll share a little bit more about it, but I know I'm suffer I was probably suffering more than most, but you know there's challenges um, and there's also benefits. You no, know, it's the, the removal of that, that fear of being the owner. Cause when you think about it, like we we're all running for profit businesses, but mm. revenue, especially at that smaller size, you're chasing revenue because revenue is paying all your bills. It's paying oh, yeah. everything. You'll sweep and, floors. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you get this, this fear paralysis. And I thought one of the most interesting examples of that was after we merged with the TNS group and became a lot bigger, Nate, our original owner, had that fear lifted off his shoulders and he was able to go back to all of our original clients and upsell them and charge quite a bit more for the same service they were getting. And people were like, yeah, I'll pay for that. And so on the one hand, it was ironic because I'm like, well, if we had done that before, we would have gotten a better valuation. But on the <laughs> other, other side, it was like, look at, look at removing that fear, that, that scarcity fear the power that it enabled somebody who was a pretty good salesperson to be a really good salesperson mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of just lean into that role that they were comfortable with and, instead of having to worry about everything else, you know, yeah. insurance, benefits, if a pipe bursts, like all of that was removed from his plate by mm -hmm. joining a larger organization. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the second issue that we run into are tend to be loan and liens. Now, um, the MSPs that I see that are kind of continuing to grow and be, and I know you love the clip art on here, right? <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm laughing because I was literally just saying in another chat before this that I hate adjusted EBITDA because uh, it's another way of concealing this kind of stuff. So. Yeah, it, yeah, it ignores the balance sheet. Um, it It's the world we live in, right? Everything's based on EBITDA. But as, as I see a lot of, a lot of MSPs, they start to get some cash flow and they're like, you know what? 
I don't want to pay my landlord anymore. I'm going to buy my building. And I'm right. like, I think that's actually can be a smart move, right? From a real estate, like, Hey, people are fans of real estate. So let's, let's get involved. Right. The challenge is that we had ran into is people, uh, they were either uneducated or unthoughtful about the way that these deals were being put together. And so in a specific instance, and we see this actually a few times, the, uh, they bought a, their building, commercial building. It was like a two or $3 million commercial loan. But instead of using the building as the security, essentially the collateral for the loan, they put their business as the collateral for the loan. And so essentially if the idea was, hey, if you default on the building, they're going to come after the business. Well, right. in a scenario where you're trying to sell your business, that's a really big challenge. And basically what happened is once that had come out and we, we figured out all the math, uh, we, were, we realized we're going to have to pay off the building first before the guy would get any money in his bank account. And it, we literally figured he was going to get like $10,000 in his bank account. Now, the reality was he was still going to get millions, but the emotional and psychological uh, realization of him kind of thinking through like, so you're telling me at the end of this, I'm going to have $10,000 in my bank account. I'm going to sell the business I built for 20 years for 10 right. grand. He couldn't get past it. And so the deal fell apart. So our advice here is if you're going to do any type of financial commitments or anything like that, be very smart to protect your business and kind of not, I guess, intermingle. Like you want to, you know, do, do make decisions that make sense. If you're buying a structure, secure it again, you know, put the loan against the structure, don't do it against your business. So it's, you know, it's just something people don't think about in the moment, but, but if we're always thinking ahead, like, Hey, I'm going to be selling my business eventually. It, it's something that can help drive our decisions. Well, it's it, it's a good point too, because you figure if I'm going to sell my MSB, if I built it to that $3 million mark you were talking about, mm -hmm. which is a pre pretty reasonable thing to do. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of us that are that size and there's a limited number of brokers, of groups like ITS, of, of um, PE back groups, just in general that can come give me that valuation I really want. So I am competing a little bit and being able to come in and say I'm debt free, that makes me a little bit more attractive. It's like a college application mm -hmm. or a job application. It's that the differentiator that maybe makes yours sit at the top of the pile and, and make them a little more interested in, in picking you over someone else. Mm -hmm. It's like that, yeah. soft, that soft element. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It, it's like, look, um, part of it is, hey, we're, we're constantly learning, right? as they say, more money, more problems, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but it, it, it is the same. So and, and for me, it kind of leads into the third one, which is um, the, the attorney and the representation. And typically what we see happen is somebody has been running their business 10, 20, 30 years. They've got a fairly established relationship with a great business attorney. And their first thought is, well, Hey, I, you know, John Smith over here, he got me through my HR labor problems. He got, he helps me with my MSA. He does all this stuff. I'm going to sell my business. So I'm going to use him. Right. That is a horrible decision, um, which most people that first are like, well, wait, why is that such a bad decision? Just like with technology, right? It like our, it's like this, like, let's say our clients come to us say, and you know, Dean, we love you are taking care of our technology and, and our network is nice and secure and we feel very safe. Now we want you to do our website, right? To the client, right? It, it, it's idea. all tech, right? Yeah. But to us, we know, and it's the same thing with law. M&A is a nuanced, uh, area of law and, and we have literally been at the negotiating table and our attorney has literally been educating the person across from the table, the attorney about nuance. We, we would get back a contract with all these red lines and we're like, this thing is boilerplate for MA. Why are all these changes coming across? And, and I'm thinking to myself, our seller doesn't even realize he's, he's paying his attorney to learn on the job. And so at the end of the day, our advice is, always go with a dedicated M&A attorney, not just somebody that's done it once or twice. And I know this might, you might have to break loyalty. That's the reality, but look, you're selling the biggest asset you probably ever have, right. ever will sell. Go with a professional, go with an M&A attorney. So you, you had mentioned at the very beginning, this idea of like finding somebody, like if you're buying a house, you get a realtor. 
And in yeah. that same idea, do you recommend an addition to the attorney that you find either a broker or like an MA advisor, like but that's MSP specific, mm -hmm. like a an MSP MA coach? Yeah, oh hundred percent. And and uh I, I probably should reorder these because I think that's number five is I'm sorry, <laughs> which is fine. No, it's all good. And we'll talk about it now because you're a hundred percent correct. Um, like look, I have I bought and sold houses? Sure. We probably all have, but I'm not a real estate agent. Could I become one? Of course, right? I could take the time, I could learn, but why? I don't want to do that. I want to build my practice, right? So yes, and it's the same thing with an M&A advisor. Um, what, the one thing I will say is people, you know, they, they, they don't realize that there are tech-focused M&A advisors. And so what they tend to do is they just go out and they get a general, like a right. broad, and what that person isn't aware of is the nuance. Like, like we were talking about earlier, even before the, you know, our program had started is uh, the IT industry. We love conferences and we love peer groups, right? Probably more than any industry out there. And just, just understanding the nuances of our industry, I think will help kind of, you know, in, in small ways, a transaction. And if somebody's aware of that, then you have an edge over just a generalist who doesn't, right? So I think I met at uh, this IT Nation event, a, a vendor, like an actual vendor with staff. And it's not just mm -hmm. a guy that um, that does this. And I had no idea they even existed, uh, you know, as an MSP oh, yeah. specific, like M&A consultant valuation company. So like, yeah. it exists. It, it's a thing. It's oh, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a growing number. I mean, I, I've worked with a good number of advisors uh, as well as some valuation companies, uh, there's, and, and what I even see now is these investment broker or investment bankers, like they have like a dedicated department, you know, for, for it, uh, because there's so much M and A activity going on, but, but yeah, yeah. So, so same thing there. It, uh, it's something that go with a specialist. It's the same, again, it's the same thing we tell our clients, hire me so you can focus on your business, right? it's a waste of people's time to say, you know, what? I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to figure this out. Look, there's going to be attorneys on both sides. There's probably financial investors. There's definitely bankers on both sides. You're sitting across from the, the seller um, or, or, or from the buyer rather. Like I want somebody in my corner, right? I, I don't want to go into that ring naked. And, and really that's what, uh, that's what having a specialist does. So here's a, here's a favorite um, talking about <laughs> I, adjusted. I got EBITDA. a good story about this one when, oh, when, okay. you, uh, All when right. you finish. Yeah. So we, you know, a, a, I guess a common sin is we love to treat our businesses like a piggy bank, right? Right. Our internet, gym expenses, the wife's car, our insurance, our life insurance, our trip to Maui, right? All this stuff. It's, I guess it's kind of a wink, wink perk of owning your own business. Um, and, and the, you know, everyone's like, ah, the IRS looks the other way, right? They get that people do it. The challenge is kind of twofold when it comes time to sell the business uh there's a process called a quality of earnings right now it might be more formal or might be less but basically it's figuring out in the expenses in the p l what are the true items that have to remain that affect the go forward functioning of the business now if something's not critical to the business like maybe your spouse's car or your home internet or something, those things get peeled off and those are called addbacks. Uh, they, they get added back to the profitability. And the, the good news is they bump it up. Hey, that $10,000 trip you took to Hawaii, that was a personal expense that gets added back. Now suddenly your profitability is up $10,000 and people are like, hey, that's a great thing. Like I should use addbacks. I avoid the taxation, I do all this stuff. But the problem is twofold. One, is buyers so people that are kind of sitting in my seat we can negotiate those out right because basically it becomes on you as the seller to prove that this thing is not necessary to the function of the business and second is they can be missed right maybe that ten thousand dollar trip for whatever it got misclassified right your bookkeeper put it into the wrong account they put it right. into i don't know salaries or something like that and so it gets completely missed so then you've you've lost profitability uh, and which, which uh, in every transaction I see the profitability is what drives the value, right? And that's the purchase price. So, so our, our advice is at least a year in advance, start to scoop these things out. 
um, as kind of a middle ground, uh, create dedicated accounts, right? So like Mills and Entertainment have a second one that's like, hey, this is just my my perks. So I can take that whole account out rather than sorting through it. Um, and, uh, and, and it really helps for a cleaner transaction. But I'm curious to hear your story. Well, I, we went through this at our, our um, when we got bought by the large group that ended up buying us, the ownership, there were a number of executives that, that all had equity. And uh, not that anybody was irresponsible with tracking anything, but they got to a point where this conversation came up and it was kind of amusing for some of us middle management to watch them not really fight, but like it was it was this unneeded moment of friction, you know, for a week while everybody had to figure out what was the company's, what was theirs, what were they going to buy from the company, what was going to be an ad back. And it was amusing watching the whole thing because just like you said, it was like, well, if we had planned this ahead of time, this this bump, because it took about a week and you figured that week could have been enough time for the sell um for the the buyer to go never mind and and to have go found somebody yeah. else and so ev even if you're tracking everything well and there's little actual conflict about what's necessary for the business or not why put yourself in this position just have everything all clean and ready to go ahead of time yeah and and one thing it does is look there's there's constantly subtle things that are communicating and this is one of those nonverbal things if I'm looking at a set of financials that have a lot of these addbacks versus one that doesn't, both of those scenarios speak to me about the maturity of that right. company, right? And the ownership mentality. And from that, I can infer other things. If somebody comes to me and they're like, yeah, Adam, I have no addbacks. I'm like, that blows me away. And it probably describes to me how the rest of their business is run versus somebody that comes and they run everything through there i'm like this thing is going to be a mess it's really a telltale sign um so just in a, even in a way to kind of subtly convey hey maturity and and kind of expert ability to run a business and, and to build confidence with a buyer yeah keep these out. well and, and it goes back to what we were saying before this this is a scarcity mindset there are more people looking to exit than there are people looking to give you the valuation you want so yeah the more you can do on that soft side those soft factors to make your your proposal your deal your application more attractive mm -hmm. the more you can show that you're competent you're mature the more that you can bring through those ideas the more likely they are to pick you versus someone else who ob objectively maybe has very similar you know numbers but doesn't have those things that let them know it's going to go smoother these people won't be a pain in the butt a year from now uh <laughs> their staff and their ops will align with it that was my world like you know th th that stuff won't be a headache a year and a half from now when i'm trying to lift and shift a culture yeah. you know it, it they're just little indicators that let you know that Basically, the people that you're buying aren't total morons, uh, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll throw out one other thing is, you know, some people are like, they say, well, Adam, I'll start doing this a year before I sell. Right. And I'm like, on paper, that makes sense. Uh, the challenge there is that we don't know, right? We don't know when the right offer is going to drop in our lap. Like I, I personally had what I called my quarterly entrepreneurial crisis where at least once every quarter, there was some moment where I was like, you know what? The next guy with 20 bucks, he can just have everything. Yep. Right. Uh, you know, you never know when you're going to be at that spot. It's, you know, it's tempting to want to take advantage of the tax savings or running things through your business. But I really say, Hey, you're trading off short-term gains of saving a little bit of taxes for headache and possibly a decline in value later. Uh, it's, it's short-sighted. So that's really good advice. Yeah. And then, and then lastly, we touched on a little bit is, you know, the seller having a consultant, somebody that's specialized again, it just goes back to our whole sales philosophy as an MSP, right? We tell our clients, Hey, let us focus on the technology so you can be effective at what you do best, whether it's plumbing, HVAC, uh, law practice, right? Medical, whatever. Same thing here. Uh, it, it is so, th th I'll tell you one of the biggest challenges of the personal work that I do is, and I'm sure Dean, you saw this and I'd love to hear from your perspective, the mental, emotional and psychological 
difficulties of selling a business. It is, in my opinion, the most challenging thing a person will do except deal with the death of a spouse. It is so much stress. It is literally separating your identity from this thing that you've created and kind of walking away from it. And, and that whole process is extremely draining and taxing. And on top of it, you're running your business, right? You're, you're in there day to day. So having somebody in your corner to help guide you through that, uh, some people call it transaction therapy. You know, there, there's just a lot that goes in there. Um, it's having somebody that specialized in it. This is really, you're going to pay, right? This, this is not a free service, but it is worth every penny. And even though it negotiates against us as the buyer, it literally negotiates against us. I, I almost demand people have a consultant, uh, because they just don't know what they're up against. I wish I, I wish the best, here's the best thing I'll say, and then I'll, I'll kind of turn to you. If I was going to climb Mount Everest, I want to have one of those Sherpa guys with me. I want him right. to point out the pitfalls and where it gets cold. And I want him to be able to read the wind and everything else. Uh, because it's the first time I've ever done it. How was yours? Like, like what, what was it like for the owners? Well, actually, I, I have a question before I answer. Oh, that. okay. Um, so going back to, I'm, I'm that MSP you identified that's over yeah. 3 million. I am in talks with ITS. I'm working with you. Why, why can't this just be you? Do you have any sort of, like, is there something similar like to fiduciary responsibility or could you sure. lie to me? I mean, could you say whatever you wanted to me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess, yes, uh, I could, there's nothing stopping me. Right. Like we are on opposite sides of the table now. In the end, I want it to work together, right? It's not like we're selling a house and I grind on you, you get the best price, and then we walk away and never see each other again. No, no, we're going to work together for years, and I want to have a good relationship afterwards. So yes, people need somebody on their side of the table that's in their best interest, that they can they can have like a, a public-facing view, right? But then they can go cry on their shoulder, right? Or whatever, like, hey, it happens, right? Having somebody super important. So uh, in in our case, we had somebody each time. Uh, the first time uh, when when ThinkTech uh, merged up into TNS, which was an awesome MSP. There's still an awesome MSP. If you're watching, anyone TNS is watching this. Way to go, guys. Um, Nate had a fantastic M&A advisor, and there weren't a lot of... I need to part with my baby because he had he had prepared himself for that. For he had prepared me for so that, but. That that was the difference. He prepared me for that as his number two. He had been telling me for about five years, listen, I want to get out of this in at least five years from now. I'm not actively going around saying somebody buy me, but I'm keeping my eyes and ears open. I want an exit strategy. I don't want to be here forever. What do you need from me so that you can run the business? And that allowed me to be in a position that when he announced it, he was able to disassociate himself from the daily operations. And I was able to keep ThinkTech running while he was able to just purely focus on structuring things in a way that worked best. And the only thing he really had to struggle with, which was honestly really nice, was the sense of loyalty to, to the team. He didn't want to leave. So he stuck around for about a year and a half afterwards, which he didn't have to do. It was very nice of you, Nate. Um, but uh, the second time around where we had multiple executives, the, the owner had already kind of had that conversation with himself. So the, the, the primary owner was pretty comfortable with the idea that it's time for me to exit. You know, I'm going to go see the world. I'm going to see my family and all the other stuff. What was interesting was to see that not all of the other equity holders had thought it through. They weren't on different pages. Everybody was on board with the idea that we want to roll this up into this larger organization. Sure. But it was interesting to see both leading up to and then the first six months after that merger, everybody sort of had a different idea of what it should look like, of what it should look like for them. Um, I remember one of the people wasn't happy with the title they had in the new organization. And like little things like that, where you wake up one morning and you realize I'm not in charge anymore. You know, yes. I, am, I am one of the people in charge. Right. Uh, we had another guy, uh, this amazing, amazing uh, technical guy who um, had recently become a partner. 
And I remember him having a conversation with me about a month after it happened going, you know, I'm basically locked in for five years now. I wonder if that was a good decision. Mm. And it was interesting to see each one of them had a different, they're all happy, but a different take on it where I didn't see that, that level of clarity that I had seen with Nate or the, the main owner of, of TNS as well, where they clearly decided a long time ago, this is my yeah. exit strategy. This is what good looks like. This is what I'm going to do. I think we were lucky that it didn't become acrimonious and, and that everybody didn't get angry or upset or, or jilted. I think it could have gone that way. Um, I, I find that impressive uh, that he shared that with you. I, I think that's very forward looking. Um, it seems because well, he that... was in a peer group with people like ITN. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's the reality is people most of the time don't share it. And the biggest reason is fear. They are afraid that if they share that sort of thing with their team, that the people are going to leave, they will, sure. you know, the, they're going to feel insecure and they're going to worry about this and that, and they don't want that in their lives. So they're just going to go somewhere else. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. The uh, staff have loyalty, right? They have loyalty to the owner. That's partially why they're there. Um, and that's what keeps them there. And that's honestly a lot of times what keeps people after a transaction closes is having the owner there. Um, yeah, it's a well, different it's, story if the owner leaves right away. But It's interesting you mentioned that too. I had done another one of these uh, right after uh, our merger where I was talking about it from an employee perspective. And something I used to give our owners a lot of uh, kind of a hard time about is there's no transitive property of loyalty. Once, you know, I was loyal to Nate. Once we merged with TNS, it wasn't immediately... You know, if I had banked 800 loyalty points, I didn't have 800 loyalty points now to TNS. Sure. I, I built that up, but I didn't have it right away. They're non-transferable. Yeah. <laughs> and what was interesting was to see the elements they worked into the deal to ensure that, so for example, they put, they baked into the deal. They both took a little less money to put a retention bonus in place for every staff member. And that meant that a year into that merger, 100% of our staff were still with the company. And in fact, even now, a couple of us left, uh, but most of the staff that we had built in that office in southeastern Massachusetts are still there. Mm. And whether or not they're happy or love the company or not, I don't know, but they're still yeah. there. And a lot of that went to both times around the leadership said, you're an integral part of what we're selling or merging. And we want to involve you. We want to reward you. We want to let you know that you're safe. We want to be transparent with you. We, you know, we're not just going to show up one day and be like, bye. Um, <laughs> that went a long way to keeping us there, keeping us around. And I think that can start to, and, and this is why I'm, where I'm going with all this, ITS does the same kind of concept. It, it establishes a reputation that your organization is a quality organization. And that means that the next MSP you go to buy, they can look up ITS and see, hey, most of the people who work here and have been acquired here, they like it. And so now you have the, the owner or the, or the executive staff are also, they may not want to be acquired, but they're not against it. They're not in the back and being like, listen, we're on Glassdoor. These guys are terrible. You know, they get terrible reviews on Reddit. Nobody likes them. <laughs> Hearing all of that negativity, you're, you're getting positivity. So I, I think that, that effort that's put into respecting your staff and, and being transparent with them, it does pay out in, in the end. It, it is worth doing. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I def definitely appreciate the kind words. Uh, that is our philosophy is we say, hey, uh, look, when, when we present an LOI, a letter of intent to a prospective partner, the very last slide of that all the cell phone numbers of the owners that have come in and we encourage them to reach out to any or if not all of them and say hey how was your how were things during the transaction how have they been since how are your staff how are they you know the clients and everything else um and uh and and we want and, and what would be weird is if we had to hide somebody's name from that list that wouldn't right. that wouldn't feel very honest so we're, we're, we have everybody's name on there and it and I really think it speaks to what we've been able to achieve. Don't get me wrong. We're not perfect. Do we make mistakes? Oh, absolutely. Have we lost yeah, clients? Yes. Have we lost staff? Yes. But it's something we continually work to improve. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been able to manage it 16 times and we're going to keep going.
Am I am I allowed to mention by name one of the MSPs that you guys rolled up in the last couple of years? Yeah, go ahead. So uh, one of the people I was in this peer group with a long time ago was Jordan from Brightwire. And um, I remember running into him at IT Nation two years ago and him being just so excited to tell me that they had finally joined ITS. And it wasn't. It wasn't that he was excited that they got like a uh, whatever good valuation or any of that. He was excited that he got to be a part of that team. And that was something I thought was really cool because that's the piece you don't always hear. He's for anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about. This, this guy basically at one point was a service manager. He he was not an owner of the MSP that, that got rolled up. He was an employee. He was a high level employee, but he was an employee and he was super excited about the technical things and the service things he was going to be able to do being part of this bigger organization. And I liked that because it was my friend winning. Um, yeah. But I, I think that is also an important thing to keep in mind through that MA process. Get your staff excited about what this means for them. I mean, for him, it meant going from a, a, a modest regional MSP that was run well to now getting to be part of this like West Coast behemoth that could do so many things they couldn't do in the in the past, you know, in, in their company. And he was pumped about yeah. like new well, stuff. Well, that was literally one of the driving factors from there's two partners there. And, and one of the things that they specifically wanted is they're like, okay, Jordan and, and their other key employee, Mika, they were like, in their view, they were topped out. The, the next step on the ladder was owner. And that, they, that was already occupied by the two right. partners. And so I remember them telling us, they're like, hey, Adam, we want a bigger entity. I think they, I want to say they were like around 25, 30 people. Well, ITS were 330 people. Like we have whole departments of people created for something that somebody just wears a single hat for, right? We have patching departments and server proactive right. and all this stuff. And and 100%, and you may or may not know this, but Jordan has actually now been promoted to a higher level because of his skill and his ability and his drive and his passion. And he's just a, he's just a good dude, right? He's a good leader. And that's the kind of thing that we're looking for. And so not only do the owners win, right, on the bank account, but, but their people right. are able to continue to pursue their careers with growth, and with opportunity so yeah that's uh, i did not know that you knew jordan so that's a small world yeah um let's see uh pc miracles was in that group yep. um uh dan from jexit uh well dan wasn't yep. but jexit was in that group um a bunch of people i'm not remembering and then people like think tech was in that group uh we we didn't join its obviously we, we went in a different direction but uh sean walsh paradigm was in that mm. group and they also ended up, they, they merged with MJ Schuer's company and um, mm -hmm. Internet and Telephone, and then they rolled up into PE. Oh, yeah. Everybody in that group, for sure, eventually merged or rolled up into an awesome group of people. Not only did everybody make bank, but all of these were really good groups of humans, which was super cool. Yeah. And and you had I mean we had a decade to vet each other to get to know each other to understand each other's culture to understand who fit where and why and who liked who and who didn't like who, so I don't I don't think any of us would have arrived at where we had arrived at as quickly had we not had that kind of experience to get to yeah. know each other in that kind of environment. You know I will say and I I think that's probably one thing that would make sense is like, you know it's probably a. A mistake to avoid is doing a transaction with the wrong people, right? Uh, I think some of our, you know, the people that are on here listening, they might think, wow, do I have to know somebody for 10 years? No, it's nice, but I don't think it's a requirement, all right? I think if we're real with ourselves, it's like, do we get along? Do our core values align? Like, can I enjoy time with this person? Do we have to be best friends? No, we don't. Right. Right. But but we're here. We're going to work. We're going to build this house together. And and that's to me what matters. So so just in case there's people out there that are really struggling, because I do run into it where there's people not in peer groups or they're behind the curve. They feel like they've gotten left behind. I think the good news of this is you don't have to stay left in the dust. Right. Create some relationships. Get to know your competitors in your area. That's who I tend to say is like people are like, Adam, who should I do my first transaction with? I say, here's the rule of thumb is that you can drive to their location, spend a couple hours, drive home and sleep in your bed. If you can do that in one day, that's a great 
uh, rule of thumb of figuring out who to do your first transaction with. So she's so like pa four hours. Past ago. Dean, past Dean, I'm talking to you, past Dean. Okay. Don't throw a brick through your competitor's window. Uh, <laughs> that's not that's not how you build yeah. this kind of relationship. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're we're coming up on time. Uh, yeah. How does somebody get a hold of you? I, I mean, what what if they want to learn more? What if they yeah. what if they want to work with you? Yeah, so so appreciate it. And you know, so here's my information. Feel free to reach out to me. It's my cell phone, my email. I'm on LinkedIn. We've had a QR code on here. Feel free to reach out to any of these means. Uh, what I will say is, you know, something I love about the IT community is we have gotten so much help to get where we're at. Um, I love giving back to others. Uh, one of my personal core values is open-mindedness. So I love sharing with people about the pitfalls and the mistakes and the things that we've learned. So even if you're not interested in doing something with ITS, there's a lot of other options out there. I would like to see people just be successful. So feel free to reach out, text me, call me, email or LinkedIn. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, I think Simon somewhere back there, uh, you got a list of upcoming MMN stuff. I know we got a good tech bar coming up. Yes, I do. Uh, so we just got wrapped up with this printer first. If you did not catch the full recording, will be available uh, right after this. Uh, and then tomorrow, tomorrow night, we're going to be having the Tech Bar Ladies Night. And that's going to be hosted by Alex Boyd and Nikki Sides from our team, uh, featuring Logan and Megan. Um, so make sure you tune in. We also have our MSP Book Club uh, on Friday, which is Bits and Books. Uh, it's going to be at noon. So we're going to be doing Hidden Potential by Grant. Adam Grant. So make sure you stay tuned for everything that we have coming up in the MSP Media Network. What uh, what about you guys? Uh, you got uh, anything, uh, Adam, on your end coming up? Any cool webinars anywhere we can uh, find you? Uh, you know, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be out and about. I got about eight conferences this year that I'm scheduled to be at. Um, just as a quick plug, uh, Connectwise is putting on an M&A boot camp in March. Uh, I think it's in Tampa. I could have the location mistaken but i will be out and about and like i say just look for the shiny fanny pack that's you'll know it's me <laughs> uh but yes so glad to be on here dean and simon it's uh yeah it's great, thank great you so much this is awesome uh i hope you have a great rest of your day uh say hi to everybody for me back at its i will and thank you so much for your time today yep thanks viewers bye everybody <laughs>